a shelter of fear and desire. Why? Thanks for tuning in to this special edition of Shtetl on the Shortwave, Indigenous Shtetl. Today we're going to be talking with Jennifer Podemski. She's an actress, producer, and also we'll be speaking with Howard Adler. He's a filmmaker and a writer. Both of these very talented artists are Ojibwe and Jewish. There's going to be lots of great music on the show today, so stay tuned. And if you'd like to listen to this or past episodes of Shtetl on the Shortwave, you can go to iTunes or shtetlmontreal.com. so excited that you've decided to tune in to Shtetl on the Shortwave today. We really have a special show for you. The song that you're listening to right now is called Butterfly by Inuk artist Elisa P. Isaac. She's from Quebec and she has a beautiful, beautiful album. And it's a perfect song to play for this special episode of Shtetl where we're looking at the connection between Jewish culture and indigenous culture. So today on the show, we're going to be speaking with, with Jennifer Podemski and with Howard Adler. And the show is part of a larger issue of Shtetl magazine called Indigenous Shtetl, where we're really exploring the connection and the crossover historically in literature, philosophically, and and in lived reality of Jewish and indigenous culture, in particular here in North America. And there's some great articles to read. There's an article by uh, David Kaufman called Jews and Indians. It's a brief historical overview of the history of Jewish people in North America and how we've interacted with uh, Native Americans here. There's also an article called Jewish Red Face by Rachel Rubenstein, where she looks at literature and theater and film from blazing saddles to northern exposure, trying to deconstruct how Jewish people have imagined Indians. And also there's poetry and art, and some of the poetry is by Howard Adler, who is the guest on today's show on the second half. He is a writer and a filmmaker, very talented, and he's the co-director of a new festival that's happening this month in Ottawa. It's the Asinamka Festival. It's a, a film festival, a new media festival of Indigenous art. And uh, as I mentioned before, Howard is Ojibwe 
and Jewish, just like the first guest of today's show, Jennifer Pademski. She's one of three sisters in, in her family who are extremely talented. They're all uh, performers and activists and very creative and, and beautiful women. Uh, behind her, she's going to be in the new film that's coming out, Take This Waltz, Sarah Polly's movie. She has a role uh, that she talks about in today's interview that's pretty funny, um, uh, and I, I won't give it away, but she uh, she talks about what it's like to work with uh, Sarah Silverman and Seth Rogen in this, in this movie. She also talks about uh, what it was like producing the television series Moccasin Flats. That was on for three seasons in Canada and looked at um, the life of Native youth in a town in Saskatchewan uh, that was dubbed Moccasin Flats. So she's going to talk about that. In this first clip, she talks about what it's like coming from a mixed heritage of Jewish and Soto, which is, uh, oh, I'll let her explain what it is. So take a listen. This is Jennifer Pademski. I read on your blog, I am Solto, and my mother is from Muskaupetung First Nation. Yeah, Muskapeting. Muskapeting. So yeah. what is what is Solto, and, and what is the Muskapeting First Nation? Soto is a smaller division of Ojibwe. Um, regionally specific to southern Manitoba, southern Saskatchewan, or North Dakota, and uh, like that area. The dialect is just a little bit different. There's a little bit of a twist to the Ojibwe language. And I know I'm going to pronounce it wrong again, but... Muscapeding? Yes. Yeah, Muscapeding is, is a reserve. It's a res um, located just outside of Fort Capel in Saskatchewan. So Muscapeding is where I'm registered as a, you know, status Indian. Okay. And I don't live there. I've never lived there. My family lives there. Some of my family lives there. My mother lived near there, but also wasn't raised in Muscapeding. But that's where I'm registered, where my grandfather is from. How did your mother and father meet? My parents <laughs> met in Toronto. They were both very young. My mom was like 16, I guess, when they met. My dad was probably 20 or so. And my dad was living with a bunch of guys at Young and Eglinton. Uh, my mom had a roommate in the same area, and they were all living together. And I guess my mom's roommate was Jewish, so she knew a bunch of these Jewish guys that were lived across the street and um, brought my mom over to a party they were having. And that's how they met. You're, where is your father from? My dad was born in Israel, but was raised in Toronto like from the time he was six. And do your parents have strong attachments to their personal cultural histories? Yes. Both of my parents are very much connected to their heritage. They are not assimilated whatsoever. <laughs> They're both, you know, Canadian and but have very deep-rooted values that comes from their cultures. How does that manifest itself? Like, do they celebrate holidays? Do they speak the languages? Well, because my parents aren't together, we, as a, a as the kids, there's three of us, we are able to be almost fully immersed in both cultures. So in terms of my dad, you know, we've, we were always raised with the holidays. Um, we've been to Israel many, many times. Um, all of us speak Hebrew, not fluently. I mean, my Hebrew sucks right now. Um, but, uh, you know, the, in terms of the continuity of tradition and, and the value system of, of being Jewish, and mostly I think we were raised like very left-wing, Hashomer Hatzair, like very, um, 
Zionist-focused from the youth movement. That was our upbringing from the Jewish perspective. But on my mother's side, um, we also aren't Ojibwe speakers, but we're, we're very connected to the value system and the spirituality and um, the history associated to being, being Native. Can I ask you what your opinion is on the politically correct words to use because I feel like I don't know what like I would feel like if I said native like that would be wrong and I'm really not sure what is it first nations native aboriginal my word would be native that's how I how I would describe myself if I say oh I'm half native but it really depends where you are like if I'm in the states it really doesn't mean anything unless you say native american mm-hmm so First Nations, Aboriginal, none of that means anything. So I think the more global term that everybody understands is Indigenous. So I would say that wherever you are, if you use the word Indigenous, then you're you're okay. Okay. Because everything else seems to be sort of wrought with political scrutiny. <laughs> so I don't see really a point in <laughs> picking anything that, that could get you or or make you feel like it could get you in trouble. Indigenous. I'll stick with yeah, Indigenous. Yeah, I, I like Indigenous. I feel like as a Canadian, it seems like First Nations seems like that's pretty politically correct and accurate. It is, but that only refers to status Indians. First Nations doesn't refer to Métis or Inuit people. Right. Is there one tradition that you feel more more connected to or that speaks to you more? No. Um, I, I feel like I've always been very much more of a spiritual person than a religious person. Mm-hmm. Both have that to offer me. Mm-hmm. Like in terms of Judaism, I've never been, a, you know, I've never been a synagogue goer. Um, my family hasn't been, but the value system mm-hmm. within Judaism and the spirituality is something that I'm very drawn to and become even more interested in when, like I'm reading this, I'm, I've become very interested in a, a man named Dr. Cousins, Gabriel Cousins, um, more for his vegan, raw food kind of revolutionary way of thinking, but he's also an Essen. And, uh, a what? It's, is it Essen or Essene, E-S-S-E-N-E, like uh, the very spiritual nomadic uh, Jews that are were very are very similar to Bedouin, the uh, vegetarian, vegan, sprout-eating, <laughs> spiritual Jews from you know that that live by the uh, code of Dead Sea Scrolls, the Essenes. Essenes, yeah. Okay, I'm gonna look that so up. I'm reading. Um, reading one of his books right now and incredibly enlightening for me to find even a new philosophy within Judaism that mm. inspires me on a spiritual level, okay. um, which I, I think is very cool uh, because you definitely wouldn't find me in a synagogue unless I was going to someone's bar mitzvah or a wedding or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, for me in terms of prayer, I find that my native culture has allowed, empowered me and allowed me the opportunity to recognize that you can pray anywhere. My temple is within me, you know, mm-hmm. and prayer can happen anywhere. And if if I need a device to pray with, I naturally lean more towards smudge or sweetgrass or something like that. That's just what I've connected to. Mm-hmm. But in terms of the spiritual path, I think it's a combination of things that I have that I have picked up along the way from both of my cultures, and I would say beyond beyond that. What is smudge? Smudge is, I guess it's a, a verb and a noun. It's something, it's like a sage or a medicine that you use to pray with, 
mm-hmm. usually requires a burn to be burned. Native people in Canada and around the world use it. A lot of people use use it in different cultures, but for us, it's usually sweet grass or or sage. Sometimes cedar, and you burn it and you pray with it. And you know the the belief is that the smoke gets carried carried up all the way to the creator. In this next clip, Jennifer Pademski talks about a show that she produced called Moccasin Flats, and uh, I'm going to let her tell you what that's about. Take a listen. Moccasin Flats really came about, it was born out of a training program. So when I was uh, 26, I opened my first production company, and we developed, myself and my partner at the time, my business partner, we developed a training program to basically deal with the fact that we were concerned that there weren't enough native faces on TV and we were, you know, already 26 years old and hadn't really seen much of a change over the, the a quarter of a century. And uh, we wanted to do something about it. So we decided to bring the cameras to the kids mm-hmm. and we traveled the country and, you know, raise as much money as we could to do these programs in communities. So we did one, one in Regina, which ended up being a really good short film. So the idea was we would bring the professionals to the community, train the kids for like a week, and then we would shoot a short film that we wrote with them from their own creation. Once we edited it, we were like, hmm, this is actually really good. Why don't we enter it into Sundance? And so we did, and it got in. And at that point, we were kind of thinking, why don't we pitch this as a series to APTN? Before we knew it, Showcase picked it up, ABTN picked it up, we were at Sundance, we had to write our series, lock ourselves in the condo for a couple of days, write mm-hmm. our series there, and then uh, before we knew it, like, come June, we were on set shooting the first season of our show. Wow. So that show ended up lasting three years. We were we were pretty ballsy at the time because we wanted to make a show that was that was really real. This wasn't like your typical youth drama. This wasn't Degrassi, and it wasn't um, suitable for YTV. This was a an 18-plus drama okay. about 13, 14-year-old kids. Huh. And the realities of living life in, you know, the inner city, the native inner city in Regina, which, and we were very, very gutsy about doing it, and we wanted to tell the truth, and we didn't want to sugarcoat anything because we thought that these stories needed to be told. And we got a lot of criticism for it. But I think it was like five years later, McLean finally came out with um, with this article about the worst neighborhood in Canada, and it was like a ten-page article about North Central, which it, which was dubbed Moccasin Flats, and that's why we called our show Moccasin Flats. What were the criticisms? Too much negativity. Even though we were very careful about you know portraying both positive and negative, I mean, in order for any story to work, there needs to be a balance of light and dark, and also trying to trying to portray a community through individuals who who had redeeming qualities but were choosing bad lifestyles which which is very true for many of our young people there are cycles of violence and cycles of abuse we we really tried to be as honest and three-dimensional as possible in creating the stories and the characters but most of the response was pretty overwhelmingly positive you know, we got nominated nominated for a Gemini. We went on three seasons. Hmm. Um, I think it was a, a huge success. The Native community, how did they receive the show? 
as opposed to the critics? Well, I know that they received it very well. They were very supportive of it. It was a hard place. It was a hard place to work. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, we made sure to, to always employ people from the communities. We, we knew right away that crime went down when we were shooting because hmm. we had involved so many people, you know, that were either on probation, on parole. We got kids working. And that was sort of was like a make-work project. And I'm very, very proud of what we did. And it's amazing that we were able to accomplish what we did. We were just so tenacious, and we were so um, desperate to succeed hmm. and to make a difference, you know? Very, very inspirational at 26 years old, producing uh, a three-season TV series and pitching it to Sundance. And I'm just overall blown away by Jennifer Podemski. She's amazing. And she's she's produces the aboriginal um the aboriginal uh, television awards that are on she did she produced this year's uh, show and in our interview it was pretty funny I, I maybe you heard little bits of a baby in the background but her kids were around and they were pretty hysterical um so she's a mom and she seems to to be able to do a lot and we're going to hear more from her in uh in just a couple of minutes she's going to talk about her very risque scene that she did in sarah Polly's film where she was uh, Naked between Sarah Silverman and Michelle Williams, and uh, another brave move, I would say. Uh, anyway, so stay tuned. We're going to take a break for some music and an ad. This next song is by Beatrice Deer. She's a Canadian Inuk singer from Quactac, Quebec, and she released an album in 2005 called Just Be that won a Canadian Aboriginal Music Award for Best Inuit Album. This song is from her first album. It's called Nunaga. And, uh, and she does a little bit of throat singing in it as well. So take a listen. This is Beatrice Deer. Yeah. 
Regina Spector returns with a new collection of songs, What We Saw from the Cheap Seat. The singer-songwriter's new album, including the singles All the Rowboats and Nimekita. What We Saw from the Cheap Seats, from Regina Spector, available now. We're back on Shtetl on the Shortwave. I'm your host, Tamara Kramer, and today we are exploring the cross-cultural connection between Jewish and Indigenous worlds. And the idea came to me because a few years ago, I did an interview with a woman named Nakuset on the show. She she talked about having been adopted from a Native family in Manitoba and and adopted into a Jewish family here in Montreal as part of what's known as the 60s scoop, where Native kids were were sent far away from where they were from to be adopted into families. And she was raised by a Jewish family here, and she talked a lot about what that was like for her and uh, what it was like growing up with a foot in both cultures and both worlds and how it was often alienating. Um, but definitely it sounds like it was enriching as well in some way. Um, so she, she self identified as a Jewish Indian. And I I was a bit taken aback when she said, I'm a Jewish Indian. And those two words sort of stuck in my brain for so long. I knew that I wanted to explore how they were connected and um, and by doing research and talking to people and and by doing this special edition, Indigenous Shtetl, I've been finding out that there are there's so many stories, so many stories and so many ways in which our cultures have uh, come together uh, for the good and sometimes for the bad. And uh, it's all fascinating to explore. So in this next clip, we're going to hear from Jennifer Podemsky about her experience um, working with the big stars in the movie Take This Waltz, Sarah Pauly's movie that's coming out this month. Take a listen. Well, Take This Waltz was an amazing experience um, for so many reasons. When Sarah Pauly called and asked me to be in the movie, <laughs> it's like, yeah, let me read the script and I'll let you know. <laughs> but in reality, it's, my answer was yes right away. I don't care what kind of script it is. If she wrote it, she's directing it. And, mm-hmm. you know, if Seth Rogen, Michelle Williams, and Sarah Silverman are in it, yes, I'll be in your film. And I don't care if there's frontal nudity. I'll be in your film. I don't care what context it in, is in. I'll be in your film. Mm-hmm. Um, the only thing I wanted to make sure with her, because the nudity issue did come up, and it was, you know, it wasn't an issue sexually or anything. It was a shower scene, very, very simple, and very small role, like four or five scenes. And uh, I had had a baby, like, five months prior to her talking to me about being in the movie. Mm-hmm. So, And I was very big. Mm-hmm. And I was not used to being that size. And, you know, anyone who's had a baby knows that your body is just different, and especially as an actor. It's like your main tool. And I didn't look the same. So there was a lot of stuff around there, mm-hmm. that that issue. Um, but at the end of the day, I came to set. I had an amazing time. Sarah is an am- amazing human being, a great director. I had so much fun with the cast and even though I would say I think like two of my scenes were cut, I'm I'm still in the movie. I'm 
in a couple scenes, and I'm totally naked in it, which is fine. And honestly, <laughs> standing in between Sarah Silverman and Michelle Williams, who have great little tight figures, oh my <laughs> um, I'm happy to represent, you know, those new moms with the C-section bellies. And like, <laughs> it kind of became a little bit of a... I don't know. I guess my husband put it best. He said, you just did something that I can cross off my bucket list. But it truly is one of those things where you're like, wow, I did that. And not only did I do that, but I was, I was okay with it. Wow. And, uh, yeah, it was, it was awesome. And the premiere was awesome. Like it, you know, I I just, I, it's weird. The whole thing is weird when you're, when you've been out of kind of the scene for a while mm-hmm. making babies mm-hmm. and you're not totally 100% comfortable with yourself on film mm. it is pretty weird to uh to be you know at the opening of at TIFF and having had such a small role you know hanging out with Sarah Silverman and, and Seth Rogen and being introduced being introduced like as if I was a star of the movie it was all very surreal but but well worth it. What was it like hanging out with Sarah Silverman and Seth Rogen? What were they like? Uh, Sarah Silverman is very funny. She's totally, genuinely a comic genius. <laughs> and it's just natural. <laughs> like, it's almost... It, it's just... it's You know how some people feel like they're just trying to be funny? She's not even trying, and she's funny all the time. And Seth Rogen, is, he's uh, pretty down he's very down to earth um funny but not as funny as you would think like he's not like a kind of punchline guy okay but uh, definitely down to earth and uh very smart and someone who i totally dug hanging out with for the for the time that i did so yeah, pretty exciting. Uh, I mean, geez, this woman has has done a lot, and I imagine that she's going to be doing a lot more. I'm very eager to follow her career and see what other things she's going to create and produce. And I, I'm sure there's a lot of amazing stuff to come from Jennifer Podemski. Um, so in this last clip, I just asked her um, a very basic and honest question um, about about what she feels people need to learn about Native and Jewish culture. So just take a listen. I wanted to ask you if you felt there was anything that Jewish people should be more aware of in terms of Native culture and vice versa. You know, I think it's, it really depends on where you live. You go to Saskatchewan, mm-hmm. the two communities that seem to have the strongest synergy with one another are the Jewish people and the Native people. Hmm. So clearly, there's a natural connection. I'm not sure what that is exactly, but I know that there's something there. Um, I know a lot of people in the Native community and a lot of people in the Jewish community who find um, working together within those communities usually very successful. So I'm not sure what it is they can learn from each other, but I think in general, outside of including the Native and Jewish communities and and beyond, everyone in this country could stand to learn a little bit more, actually a lot more, about Native people. Mm -hmm. It's It's not integrated into our education system enough, but it's far too prevalent in the media 
to see, you know, negative stories and misinformation. And I think we can all stand to to see what makes us, to recognize our similarities and stop looking at what divides us all so much. Mm-hmm. Now more than ever. Hmm. So that was the end of uh, the interview that I did with Jennifer Pademski. And um, if you want to listen to this episode or uh, past episodes of Shtetl and, and share this with other friends, if it's of interest to you, you can send them to iTunes where they can download the podcast or to shtetlmontreal.com where, where all the radio shows are housed. And we're going to take a break and listen to some more music and we'll be back to uh, speak with Howard Adler. Uh, this next song that we're going to hear is uh, by uh, Robbie Robertson, who from doing some research I found out is, well, first of all, his real name is Jamie Royal Robertson, and he's, as we know, a Canadian singer and songwriter, but he was uh, born to a Jewish father and a Mohawk mother. So uh, this is the band, and I think you all know this song. Oh, it's not like it used to be.
Hey, we're back on Stadel on the Shortwave, and that was Robbie Robertson of the band. He's Mohawk and Jewish and Canadian. So cool. So right now we're going to be talking with Howard Adler. Howard has a Bachelor of Arts degree in Indigenous studies from Trent University and a Master of Arts degrees in Canadian Studies from Carleton University. He's an award-winning writer. He uh, has had films in in a variety of festivals, which is where I first heard of him. Uh, He had a film last year in the Imaginative Film Festival called Honor Song, which you can see on the shtetlmontreal.com website now. It's a very um, a very moving film, and we're going to talk a little bit about that. Howard is Ojibwe and Jewish and a member of the Lac des Mille Lac First Nation in northwestern Ontario. Howard, welcome to Shtetl on the Shortwave. Thank you. Hello. Hello. How are you doing today? I'm doing pretty pretty good. How are you? I'm doing pretty good. I'm doing pretty good. Not working on a lot of sleep, but I'm I'm, I'm managing. <laughs> yep, yep. That happens sometimes. That happens. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, I wanted to start off by asking you about Honor Song, um, because that's how I first heard of you, seeing it on the Imaginative website, and sure. I was just watching it last night with a friend, and it's very very intense, very beautiful. Uh, short video that celebrates the um, the accomplishments of Native Americans that fought in World War II. What mm-hmm. what made you want to to make this film? And can you tell us a little bit about it? Sure, I made it because there was there was this challenge called Art from Memory Challenge, and it, it was put on by the Historical Dominion Institute of Canada, and they have this like online archive of um, of World War II featuring like interviews with uh, veterans and you know some photographs and stuff like that and there was even audio clips of their interviews online uh, and so came from this call for artists to make art with that material mm-hmm. so I, I went through and I thought it would be interesting to take a look at what the stories were of Canadian Aboriginal veterans and their stories during the Second World War. I found I think six or seven veterans who were Aboriginal and I just kind of went through their stories and I found some themes and some some recurring um, ideas and I actually like wrote a song using clips of their voice telling the stories mm-hmm. and um, and that's where it all started and then I just kind of did the visuals afterwards to accompany the audio. Okay. It's it's pretty amazing the way you layered everything, their voices and the visuals. It really, really packs a punch. And uh, it it's, it's sort of brings up a lot of different issues. And like about World War II, the Holocaust, also discrimination against Native Americans. I wanted to ask you if you wanted to talk a little bit about your your heritage, because you have both in you, Jewish and, and Native American Ojibwe. Uh, I was wondering if you could tell us a bit about uh, about that uh sure well uh, my mom she's uh anishinaabe she's ojibwe from uh lac de Mille first nation in uh, northwestern ontario it's uh, about an hour and a half north of thunder bay and um my father he is a he's a polish jew he came to canada when he was like i think 12 years old after the second world war and i think he left from Poland to Sweden and my you know my grandparents he was with my Bobby and my Zadie and they kind of they bounced around Europe to a few countries before coming to Canada and um how did they find each other your parents how did they meet at university actually <laughs> um I guess it would have been in the 70s um my my both my parents were going to 
Guelph University, and uh, I don't know exactly how they met, but they met at university. <laughs> and, you know, at that time, it would have been, I guess, the 70s, and um, I'm pretty sure there weren't that many Native people going to university. It's pretty rare for that meeting to happen at that time, um, especially because, like, thinking of my mom's generation, like, how many of her fellow students that were at residential school went on to go to, you know, high school, probably like a handful, and who, how many of them went on to university? She's probably the only one. Um, so, Did your yeah. mom go to a residential school? Uh, yep, she went to um, the Cecilia Jeffrey Residential School in, uh, I think it was near Kenora, and yep, so... Um, I mm-hmm. guess I'm curious to know what weight uh, these two histories have for you, the Jewish history of leaving uh, Europe uh, during World War II and the Native American history, like, for example, your mother having gone to residential school. How do these two live together in your in your mind or in your experiences? Well, I guess I kind of see them as both, like, comparable in a lot of ways, Um to me, they're both genocide. <laughs> um, very clearly, they're both genocide. Um, you know, regardless of what your definition of de- genocide is, um, they're both genocide. Um, and so, in my mind, they're just—I mean, they're—you know—they happen in different contexts, but they're still the same thing in the end. You know, destruction of culture, just destruction. Of, you know, murdering people, um, and they're pretty awful events in history, and they still are very um, integral parts of, like, I think, Jewish identity and also of Indigenous identity, you know. So I think there's a lot of um, similarities there. Mm-hmm. Growing up, did you uh, did you celebrate both cultures? Yeah, I'd say so, yeah. Um, I, like, I lived in uh, Orangeville, Ontario, which is a pretty um, white-bred town. <laughs> um, but, um, like, everybody else had Christmas, but we had, you know, we had Hanukkah. And, you know, we'd, we'd go to our grandparents and, and, you know, to our Bobby and 80s house in North York, Toronto, and we'd have, a, you know, we'd have our Hanukkah there. We'd light the candles and, and we'd have Passover. Instead of Easter, we'd have Passover. Mm-hmm. You know, we'd, we'd, we'd play dreidel games and we'd do the, um, the Seder. And uh, so we definitely celebrated, if not all the holidays, some of them. <laughs> we weren't the most religious family, but we had, we, you know, we kind of, went through the motions and <laughs> yeah. um you know we were like Todd and I let's eat <laughs> right <laughs> and then I guess on you know on my Ojibwe side yeah I'd say yeah we you know we know who we are and we'd go in the summertime we'd go to powwows with my mom and my grandmother and and my aunts and we'd you know we'd go to powwows and and you know watch see the dancing and so like I think as kids we kn- we knew who we were, mm-hmm. and uh, despite growing up in a, a very Christian white town. <laughs> interesting, interesting. Um, well, I want to ask you about this festival that I don't know if you created it, but it, you're the co-director of the festival happening in Ottawa this month, and I think people will be pretty interested in hearing about it and hopefully coming to it, regardless of where they are in Canada, Toronto, yep. Montreal, not very far, so we can come check it out. Can you tell us about the festival? Sure. Um, the Asinamka Film and Media Arts Festival is, um, we're hoping to become an annual um, festival here in Ottawa. Um, it's an Indigenous film festival. So we're, we're going to screen films and, and show media work 
by indigenous artists, but also work by non-indigenous indigenous artists that deal with indigenous topics. Okay. Um, so we're trying to be, you know, fairly inclusive. And it's ha- it's happening June 18th to the 20th, 24th in Ottawa. So we have seven days of programming. All of our events are happening in the evening. Uh, and yeah, so we have a lot of a lot of amazing films. Um, what the are, imaginative. Yeah. Sorry, go ahead. <laughs> oh, I was going to ask you, like, what were some of the films that that, that people can expect to see there? We're going to be showing Shelley Nero's um, film uh, uh, called Robert's Paintings. It's about uh, Robert Huell, and uh, it also has like a residential school story element as well. Mm-hmm. Um, he's a really well-known Canadian Aboriginal um, painter. And it's a beautiful documentary, um, and that's going to be screened at the National Gallery of Canada um, on mm. Friday nights during our festival. Um, <clears throat> we also have a, a, pro- a program of um, short films that was put together by the Imaginative Film Festival in Toronto, which mm-hmm. is, you know, an amazing, amazing film festival, and we can't be any more happy to have them to have done this program for us. That's going to be screened at the uh, Museum of Civilization Theatre on Saturday evening during our festival. Um, and we also have uh, we have so many great works. It's hard to, to say a few uh, without keep on, keeping on going. Uh, we have a, an amazing documentary by um, Jeff Dorn, and it's uh, about um, it's called Smoke Traders. It, it's kind of controversial. It deals with the issue of contraband uh, tobacco industry uh, and it was shot on Akwesasne, Ganawage and um, some reserves like that. It just follows it follows some people that are actually involved in the industry and mm. it kind of puts a human face on it and you know questions is this criminal activity or is it you know sovereignty so uh, and I think it, the film does a really good job of leaving that open to interpretation. And, wow. Uh, we also have a spotlight on a local filmmaker here in Ottawa, Ariel Smith. Okay. And uh, Ariel's, Ariel's films are beautiful. I love her, I love her work and uh, films. What about, um, is there, are there going to be any like DJs? Is there going to be music, other, uh, other events in the festival? Yes. Um, on June 21st, is, it, it's actually National Aboriginal Day. Um, it's, I, I don't know who declared that, but it is. <laughs> uh, um, so we're going to be having um, a, uh, a gallery crawl. We're doing a gallery crawl, and it, we have two art galleries on Bank Street. We have um, Gallery 101, and we have uh, Fall Down Gallery. Um, Fall Down Gallery is kind of like a skateboard shop slash art gallery, and so it's um, we're doing sort of like a beer and bannock and uh, wine and cheese mm. combo. Okay, nice. <laughs> and, yes, and we have some amazing uh, media art to show at Gallery 101, and we also have a, a, a local Indigenous arts collective called Fresh Tracks doing their performance uh, work at oh uh, Fall Down Gallery there, and there's going to be some DJs as well. So wow, sounds amazing. Definitely a must must come to events. Uh, I think we're kind of running out of time, but uh, I I wanted to ask just one last question. What sure. what was the impetus? Why did you want to start this? film and new media festival i guess um we just saw a need for it in ottawa um and like i mean other major cities in canada have film festivals um that are deal with indigenous um films specifically and being in the nation's capital i just think it's really important to have one here 
you know, this is where all the decisions are made about First Nations people on our behalf, right? And um, I, I just wonder how many people in power in Ottawa have no idea the realities of, you know, Indigenous people's lives in Canada and they're making policies about them. And I think there's, you know, an opportunity here to show important stories, important films, and to, and to you know, kind of educate people as well as, you know, as well as entertain. <laughs> so that's kind of, and I'm a filmmaker myself, so I love film and... It sounds so amazing. You're very inspirational. I can't believe all the different mediums you work in. Uh, hopefully, hopefully you'll be back on again sometime in the future. Sure. Thank you very much for having me on the show. I appreciate it. Miigwech. Uh, Shalom. <laughs> <laughs> it was great talking to you, Howard. Take care. Yep. Yep. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. So that was Howard Adler, and uh, that really brings us to the end. We're going to play one song to go out. Thank you so much for tuning in to this special edition of Shtetl on the Shortwave. Uh, please go check out shtetlmontreal.com to see the Indigenous Shtetl issue and read the stories, to see Howard Adler's uh, video. His twin brother, Nathan Adler, also has a submission of poetry and painting, so check that out as well. And we're going to go out with a song that... Um, Rachel Rubenstein talks about in her article, Jewish Red Face. It's by Fanny Bryce, who was a big-time Yiddish comedian and actress in the Ziegfeld Follies uh, in, in the early you know, 1920s. She sings a song called I'm an Indian. You can actually see a little video clip of it on the Shtetl website. Uh, take a listen, and thanks so much for tuning in to Shtetl on the Shortwave. Get me, 